Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Last week on the podcast, our guest was Representative Daniel Bonham. And so this week, we'd like to give you a little preview of his podcast called Main Street Politics with Representative Daniel Bonham. Being in the Capitol, Representative Bonham has access to some really interesting guests, so I highly encourage you to subscribe to his podcast if you're looking for another place to get your Oregon politic fix. So once again, that is Main Street Politics with Representative Daniel Bonham. Take a listen. Welcome to Main Street Politics. My name is Daniel Bonham. We call her one take Boss Hart Davis. That's right. Joining us here today at the Capitol is Shelly Bossard Davis. First question to you, and this we'd like to have a little bit of fun on our podcast here. I'm nervous. Is, what is the most butchered pronunciation of your name? Oh, Beauchart, for sure. And I don't know if it, nope, nope. It definitely was when one of the chairs of my committees asked me to carry a bill, and it was Rep. Boshart Smith. Yes, that's my favorite one. Okay, that's the one I was going for. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking, I think he's talking about me. I'm in that committee, and, you know, Boshart Davis comes out a lot. People, a lot, a lot. I um, mean, phonetically. Yeah. I get it. Whatever. Boshart. I mean, who wants to be called Boshart? But, I mean, I get it. But then to substitute Smith for Davis was just... <laughs> I was there that morning, and you and I had joked about this a few times about people butchering the name, oh, and yeah. then to see it live. Oh, yeah. Well, and you go to how many people have the name Smith and three names. There's Barbara Smith Warner, there's David Brock Smith, there's Greg Smith. So you get it. I mean, it, it works. It kind of flows. Representative Beauchart Smith. Now, I'm, I'm convinced that uh, David Brock Smith wanted to run for office went to a consultant, and they said, what's your name? And he said, I'm David Smith. And they said, oh, that's, that's not going to work. work. <laughs> yeah. Too many yes. David Smiths. Yes. What's your middle name? Brock. Oh, my gosh, we've got it. David Brock Smith. And it's stuck ever since. He's, Maybe. you know, he's Maybe. won every elected office down in his part of the world. That's so. true. So it it's even funnier when my husband has Davis class in Albany. There's also a Smith class in Albany. And those are the two glass shops in Albany. There was a write-up done about us at one time or about him, and they said Jeff Davis, owner of Smith Glass in Albany, and they kind of got it wrong. Like, it's Jeff Davis, right? Yeah. yeah. So when they called me Representative Boshart Smith, that's the first thing I heard, and I was like, oh, I got to the Capitol. That's funny. <laughs> so you're sitting at home working. How many, how many different companies do you own? One. You own one. Mm-hmm. And then I work for a couple. And then you work for a couple. Mm-hmm. Family businesses? Yes, all family businesses. And you grew up on the farm? Grew up on the farm and in the truck shop. Oh, the truck shop. What, truck is that? Shop. what does that mean? Uh, well, currently, wrenches? my office um, on the farm is the old parts room in the truck shop. So, I mean, I remember my sister and I TPing the truck shop for the mechanics when we were like seven years old. So my earliest memories are literally in the mechanic shop of the of the truck shop. So where were you born? You were born in Lynn County? Yep, Albany. Albany. Albany, Oregon. Finally, the internet serves us right. We, you know, <laughs> we normally try and do some background information, Wikipedia, Facebook. Google. Google, it, you know, this is the first time. And it's probably because it was your campaign page that we used this time. That makes sense. We went straight to the source. And uh, the other thing that we found on there was a myriad 
of leadership awards, leadership experience. You know, how, how did how did you get to this point? I mean, you, you grew up on the farm. You're working in the truck shop, teeping the truck shop <laughs> at one point. And then you decided, hey, now I actually want to do this and I want to do it well. well. Tell us about that. So I have to say, when Representative Andy Olson asked me, I was assisting my then 15-year-old daughter. Was she 15? Kendall was 15. Today, first of all, today is Kendall's 17th birthday. It's her golden birthday. And so that's kind of cool. But she was 15, I think, at the time. And I was assisting her in delivering pigs. And at like 8 o'clock at night in the barn, and I get a call on my phone, and it says Andy Olson. And I'm like, "Eh, should I take it? Should I not take it? He's so pretty cool. You I had to take the call. Pull the gloves off and step outside the farrowing area. And that's when he asked if I would consider running for office. And I was like, well, I need to go help Kendall deliver pigs. Can I call you back? <laughs> so that's how it started. Uh, probably started before that. Just getting involved in agriculture issues, trucking issues, small business issues really got me to this point. I mean, you could start with mostly the port crisis in 2014, 2015 got me super involved and um, spiraled from there. So what's your first memory of coming to the Capitol? Oh, the first time I came here would have been, I can't, I'm trying to remember what it was. For sure it would have been with my friend Marie Bowers. Guaranteed it was her dragging me along up here and we would have probably testified. I don't know if my first testimony was on an agricultural issue or on a diesel bill. Probably a diesel bill. I've I've testified against um, some sort of uh, CARB, which is California Air Resource Board, um, bill or diesel bill for the last four sessions. So you get the call. You're you're doing the pigs. Yeah. And and you take the gloves off. Andy, I'll call you back, which is awesome. I love that. Uh, <laughs> It reminds me of the movie uh, Major League when they give the guy a call and he's working in the tire shop and they said, how would you like to manage in the major leagues? And he says, I don't know. I got a guy on the other line about some white walls. And so That's about right. you're thinking about it. And then what was your process from there, though? Did you talk to the family? Did you call some friends? Yeah, talked to um, my husband and I went out to lunch with um, Rep Olson and his wife, Pam, and went through some kind of deep dive, serious questions. A lot of it was about timing. And as we were walking out of the restaurant, my husband turns to me and goes, you're going to do this, aren't you? And so that's kind of how it worked. So talk to family, talk to once they were all on board, then we went for it. It was so important for me, at least in this interview, to talk about your background and talk about everything you've done is because you really are one of the busiest people I know. You run a small business you work for your family business, you're a mom, you're a legislator, and you know one of the jokes that uh, one of our colleagues likes to poke you with all the time is, how could you possibly do this? Like, you're a mom, you're a business owner, and he kind of throws it at I you. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, and yet you juggle it, and you do it, and you make it look, in fairness, easy. No problem, I've got this. Well, first, I'm... I'm a workaholic, and and there's some negatives that come with that. There's some positives that come with that because I can juggle it. No joke, you give up all personal time at all. I mean, that we're on a podcast, so you cannot see the roots in my hair right now because I cannot <laughs> get it colored for the life of me. No time. <laughs> but no time, no time. And honestly, that goes away. 
That absolutely goes away. And um, just a small, 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 small sacrifice because I think it's super important. Obviously, I've got incredible people that work for the company. I've got incredible family. My kids are incredibly independent and self I mean, they, they take care of themselves. I mean, there's no making lunches for them in the morning and they do their own laundry. And um, for, for all of those reasons, uh, that's why I can do it because sometimes we're managing our life to get through this session. Yeah. And of course, here in the Capitol, Renee and Drew. Oh, geez. I mean, your staff second to none. I mean, what a champion uh, Renee is well, working that desk. And, and then Drew, not only uh, he knows the building. Yeah. But he puts in some hours. Like, he puts in work outside of this building, making sure he's up to speed on topics. I mean, I, I'm... Well, he, up until yesterday, was going to school full-time. Full-time at Willamette University. So he would go to school. He'd come back for three hours. And if, granted, it's across the street. And I would always joke, I'm like, are you the best-dressed guy in the class? Because he's dressed for capital work, and he'd go back to school for a couple years, and then he'd come back. So I would see him, let's say, 8 to 10.30. He'd go to school for three hours, then he'd come back in the afternoon. And so obviously, like I said, it's across the street, which makes that uh, feasible. But every single day, he's juggling school and working here. I mean, he's motivated. He loves it. Um, so that's helpful. But yeah, he's been able to do it up until yesterday. Now he's uh, finished school and is full time, but working through finals, working through um, studying and yeah, it, it's impressive. And Renee just simply makes my life better. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I've got fantastic staff. I appreciate them just being in the building. I know the support they are for you, but the presence that they bring just to the office environment in general is, is fantastic. Well, not everyone can, and you mentioned Drew, he had some experience before because he worked in the HRO uh, office, but Renee has never worked in the building and she came in and just rolled with it. And when you have somebody that can do that, that's pretty impressive. And that leads to another question. Who should consider doing uh, this job as an elected official, but also who should consider being staff? Are there people that you see out in the community that you go back home and you say, gosh, that person really should consider getting involved? Yes to all of that. I would say I would say the general public should and hopefully get involved just in general, regardless if it's um, advocating for your family or for something that you feel passionate in. Absolutely. I think that people are learning more and more that they need to step outside their bubble. And maybe that's getting involved in their local school board, finding out the budgetary process. I We all need to figure out our budgetary process more and more, whether it's school board, whether it's county, whether it's your city council, whether it's the state. I mean, that's that's a, that's something that everybody should be getting more involved in. Um, but what are you passionate in? Or get, if you're a realtor, get involved with your realtors association or your chamber or your local PTA, what it is, whatever it is. But more and more, I think people need to get involved so they know what's going on around them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to your conversation with Andy, Mm -hmm. So you went out to lunch, he and Pam, wonderful people, and they're yes. sitting there pitching you a story. How yeah. accurate was the story that they pitched versus uh, your reality today? I think based on the committees that we're involved in, I think is probably what made that story slightly inaccurate. If I weren't on the Joint Carbon Committee with yeah. you, yeah. I mean, the amount of hours we put into that every single week is crazy. We went out on the road. Um, that took a lot of time and it still 
takes a lot of time. So I think it's based off of your off of your committee load. Yeah. If I only had the two other policy committees, I think it would be a lot different. Yeah. Somebody told me yeah. that whether you put in 20 hours or 80 hours, that, that's your choice to do it. And what you get out of it, I mean, you say it better. Well, it was actually Senator Johnson. Senator Johnson, yeah. yes. Yeah, it was one of my first conversations with her, and her comment was, you know, you can put in 20 hours, and the job will take 20 hours. Yeah. You can put in 40, and the job will take 40. You can put in 80 hours, and it will take all 80, and not necessarily with a greater return. Yep. And that's what's fascinating is the job never does stop. Correct. I mean, there's always emails. There's always phone calls. There's always a constituent concern. There's always Correct. something. So you're one of the most prepared members. Oh, You do awesome. a lot of uh, prep work. I try. What does that look like? Oh, wow. Uh, it, you know, it took me a while. When you're a rookie, freshman, whatever you want to call it, legislator, you're not quite sure what it looks like. And, and so you kind of come into this and you're rolling with the punches. You have to be, uh, I think, to be a, and I don't even want to say good legislator, but when you're coming into this building in order to survive or do it well, you have to be one of those people that rolls with the punches and figures it out and is it's an on the job training truly and so you go into your first committees and you're kind of like what what is this and you're learning how to use the online OLIS the online database system and you're learning what that is like to get prepared and I think that everybody has a different look as to what that means to get prepared and I think that our policy office is helpful in that when we get things ahead of time and you start looking at what the bills are, you're listening in the public hearings, you're, you're ready to ask questions. But I think that part of that preparedness is more life experience. Mm. The, the committees that I'm on, those questions aren't prepared because of research. Those questions are prepared because of my life that's led me up to this point. You know, I, I always say that I hope that I'm instrumental um, I'm not an ideas person, but there's a lot of ideas people in this building. I'm more of a, hey, that's a great idea. What's that look like in a handbook? I'm a very practical person. Or what's that look like in real life? And so I think that that's where it, you call it preparedness. And I think that that's, those kind of people are effective because of their life experience. You know, I think you're being a little humble in fairness. I've watched you, you know, read significant volumes of material. I've seen you do in-depth research and and work with El Pro and go back and forth with staff in the building. Yes, your life experience has brought you here, but but two, you work tremendously hard. And uh, and one, I can tell you, as a as a fellow member in in the caucus together, it means the world to me. As I sit down in caucus and we share ideas and we talk about bills, that I know that my my fellow colleagues are out there working hard, making sure that we're all well informed and up to date. That's a good, but that's a good point is you really rely on other people's research and experience when it comes to some of the items coming out of healthcare. We're relying on those members to have also done as deep a dive as we have in some of our committees. And so you're, you're always prepared, but you weren't part of that committee and you weren't part of that public hearing and you didn't hear the two sides to everything. So you have to be prepared to go to those um, other colleagues and having established a good relationship and ask questions. And so I think that that's um, something that uh, our caucus is very brilliant at. And the, the culmination of the experience and knowledge that we have in there is pretty impressive. So the other thing that I have found so valuable in this building is relationship building, going and finding Absolutely. the people that do work hard, going and establishing 
and, and regardless of whether they're in the House or the Senate, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, but going out and finding the people that really, really take deep dives on this stuff and building relationships. And I've watched you do that. Was that something that uh, you just naturally thought was wise to do? Did someone talk to you about that or, or how did that develop? The first thing that that really kind of occurred to me, I was being interviewed by my own chamber. And I've been on the governmental affairs committee of our Chamber of Commerce in Albany, which is a fantastic chamber. They do incredible, incredibly good work, and they're very involved, um, which I think is really exciting and, and good for that district. But one of the board members asked me straight up, are you going to be a person that goes up there, says no, and comes home? Or are you going to take the time to collaborate, to find a better way, to find a better answer, and to take the time and effort that 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 would take in order to build relationships? And immediately I knew that I was that person. I'm not a hard no and, and go away, and I hope that that's been beneficial. But I knew that coming into it, and I think that's just kind of the person I am. I'm a relationships person, and I, I use that in every part of my life. What does a typical day Oof. here in the capital look Oof. like? Or period. Start at home. Okay. Because you got you got to get up. You got to mm-hmm. get kids out the door. I'm sure. Yep. Get kids out the door. Um, and sometimes it's earlier than others, depending on on what's going on up here at the Capitol. Um, but it typically starts early, ends a little bit late. Um, again, depending on the workload. But kids get up. We get up probably around anywhere. Well. Me, 5.30 to 6, somewhere. The kids get up anywhere from 6 to 6.30. They have to do chores. They've got barn chores. They've got, um, you know, making luncheons and whatnot. But really, they're so self-sufficient. I mean, I'm making sure that they're up, but their breakfast on their own, lunch on their own, uh, they, they've got it taken care of. My oldest is now... Um, well, she can drive, and so she's out the door pretty early because she goes and picks up my sister's kids, and then she goes to another house and picks up more kids. And so by the time she gets to school, she's already stopped twice, and she's got seven kids in the car. <laughs> so um, they're pretty good about, about getting out to the door, but I'm typically out of there beforehand. But I'm only 35 minutes from the Capitol, which yeah. is so incredible. I, I can't believe some of the people that um, are farther away, like you, it's just different for every district. It's different for every legislator, and it's different. You know, their family is is different. I wouldn't be able to do this if I was Cliff Bentz yeah. and that far away yeah. having kids like I do now. So that was part of part of the equation. But then depending on the committee schedule, it it's all based off of committee, caucus, floor, and meetings. And then in between that, you try to get some food. <laughs> I mean, your day is just packed. It's it's truly packed. And then you sometimes you don't get to do any research until you get home at night. And then for me, I then catch up on my other job on the phone on the way up here, on the phone on the way back, and a lot of emails after I get home. Yeah. So <laughs> for our listeners, I'll just say, you know, knowing that I was only appointed in November of 17, uh, and the good representative and I are both considered freshmen at this point. It's true. I just yep. have a little bit of a lead. And we have been competitive from the moment we met. And it just, it's been fun. I saw you 
I want you you posted something about a campaign ac- yeah. event, like your kickoff event, and you had X amount of people and raised X amount of dollars. And so I texted you, just being funny, and we didn't even know each other at the time. No. But mm-hmm. I was like, hey, I'm gonna have X plus one, and I'm gonna earn Y plus one. Yeah. And yeah. and you were like, oh, bring it. And then from that <laughs> on, it, it's been everything. It's everything. It's um, voter turnout. Yep. Um, Who won that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who has more Twitter followers? Yeah. And so <laughs> it's been fun. And the the best one for me so far, though, was when you called, uh, it was before, gosh, it was in December, and you were like, hey, I challenge you to a weight loss contest. And knowing that was just from, so my, my bad. from the limited exposure <laughs> I had to this building, I thought, oh, she doesn't know yet. She you, doesn't know. You sit all day. You, there's terrible. no time to eat. So when you do, you don't eat well. This is a weight gain mitigation contest and instead you you threw out a weight loss challenge. I know. I was hoping for me it would be motivation. <laughs> <laughs> I might have been wrong. I'm not sure. Session's not over. I was thinking about that because I know we never wrote it down so I was thinking maybe I can con him into saying I meant the end of the year. So I'm testing it out on this podcast <laughs> right now because I think I met 2019. I'm pretty sure it was uh, end of session. I don't know. I've got a screenshot that uh, the text with the we had our spouses confirm uh, original oh, weigh-ins on digital true. scales. This is all true. This is all documented. We are very competitive. <laughs> Twitter followers, Facebook followers, campaign funds raised. Um, how many people came out to our events? I mean, you name it, we compete. But the fun thing is, it's <laughs> it's just an opportunity to help each other. It's true. Hold each other accountable. It's true. To get better. I enjoyed. Well, ultimately, for, for the good of Oregon. And what's impressive is so many people that want to help. I mean, I remember the first time um, Dylan texted me, and I was like, "Who who's Dylan? And he's like, hey. I, you know, here's an idea, or I think it actually was a video of you, like it was an outtake that you totally screwed up, and it was so funny, and I was like, oh my goodness, these are going to be my friends. <laughs> this is fantastic. I, this is, doesn't make sense. You know? There was an outtake that I had screwed up. I, you know, what could we... So for the record, uh, you know, for the record, uh, Dylan Amo is my chief of staff. He's also the producer of this radio broadcast, uh, the podcast, as we like to call it, so that Bill Post recognizes the difference between what we're doing because we don't sell any advertisements. We just offer information to the people. In no way, shape, or form are we radio hosts. Yeah. No. No, two clowns. (laughs) Two clowns. (laughs) Two clowns and a fern? Is that how it goes? I, I, I maybe. So. And you win on that one. <laughs> um, one of the other questions I love to ask, it's one of my favorites, is what is something that people listening would be surprised to know about you? If I could choose anything, if I had a day off, if I had a day off, that's funny, but I would love, I love being in the kitchen. Really? love being in the kitchen. Oh, very, uh, a, a sad part. I don't want to make this sad. There was a funeral for a very good friend of mine in the community. We lost an incredible stand-up guy in our community. But I was, his funeral was this last Saturday, and I spent all day in the kitchen. By the way, 1,200 people were at this funeral, and we fed, I think, over 800 people um, by the time we went through it. But I spent the entire day in the kitchen, 
And I loved it. I loved it. I grew up with three younger sisters and my mom, and we can manage a kitchen like like anybody. If you said, hey, Shelly, I need you to, um, I have an event for 300 people tomorrow, I could say, no problem. What do you need? And so that could be surprising to some, but I love being in the kitchen. Out of my three girls, two of them also love it. Um, the other one does not. She prefers to be in the barn. And I realized how bad she was in the kitchen. So I literally had to switch chores around to make sure that she knew how to run a kitchen. But um, yeah, that that may be surprising to some. Yeah, I'm surprised by that. Uh, my So I always like to have my own answer of what I expect to hear. Yeah? I expected you to say that you grew up Mennonite. Oh, well, I almost brought that in. That could be the kitchen part yeah. because that's just maybe part of my roots. And um, that's what we did. We canned. Did we do it last summer? Um, my sisters and my mom and I get together and we make strawberry freezer jam. And it's an assembly line. It's it's an impressive, uh, it's a little bit of a management part to do all of that. But yeah, so grew up you... Mennonite, love the kitchen. Maybe that's why, but that's that's where I find happiness. So you are currently... The youngest member yeah. of the Republican caucus. On the House side. Uh, on the House side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, ever since we kicked Senator Hurd out right. of the mm-hmm. House and forced him over to the Senate <laughs> uh, and brought you in, you know, so now you are <laughs> the youngster. Yeah, and I didn't even realize that. I, I mean, I knew that I was younger, but I didn't realize that until we were talking about how Canada came up because. That's a whole different subject. Um, but And I, you said you wanted to go to Banff Springs. I said that was on my bucket list. And I said, I hope to go to Banff for my 40th, which is next year. Yeah. And somebody goes, you're not 40 yet? And yeah. I turn around and I'm looking at everybody in the caucus and I'm like, no, I'm the only one not 40 yet, which is kind of funny. So apparently a few people were listening to that conversation apparently where I people... said I was 41 and Zeke was 41 and Brock Smith was 41 because a few people came up to me on the house floor oh, and really? said... Oh my God! You guys are only forty-one. <laughs> I love it. Right, and it—it's it, kind—it's of, a compliment. To it's a, a certain, compliment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's like yes. I wasn't sure if they were going the other way. Like we thought, the way you guys acted, that you guys were a lot younger. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm that's glad a possibility. you said. And I'm glad you say that. And I'm glad, you know, hopefully the, the folks that do listen to this uh, will hear the laughter because this job is very serious. It, it can is. get super stressful, yeah. and yet uh, I feel like we've found the opportunity throughout the session to still have some fun. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. And you go back, and when you were talking about who could do this job, and and we've talked about that. Um, I think we talked about that on a panel when it was Denise Bowles and Christine Drazen and me, and who can do this job. And it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, you have to be willing to work a lot, um, but I think that you have to realize its importance and that's not lost on us whatsoever. I'll go back and say that I, my husband and I both regret not giving time and service to the military right after high school. Right. We both yeah. regret it. I yeah. regret it. He regrets it. We're encouraging our kids to look into it. Of course, it's their decision. Um, and this in no shape or form am I saying that this is the same thing because it's not, right. but it is public service yeah. and it is a sacrifice on different levels. This is one of my ways to um, represent my community and to put in time and effort to hopefully make the community and the state a better place. And so that's part of the reason that I'm doing it and just being a voice for uh, people that can't be a voice for themselves. 
So you mentioned military, sir. Like, mm-hmm. was it 9-11? Was there something, or was it a sense of duty? Sense of duty, yeah. I think. Especially just being grateful as we do memorials here in this building and even before uh, working in this building. But just seeing the sacrifice that other families have made and realizing, I, I don't know, as you get older, you become a little bit more thoughtful and, yeah. and realize the sacrifice that others so that you can pursue um, what you want to do. And as I'm teaching my own girls, I mean, truly they can do anything they want to. And it's because of our history and where we've gotten to this point. And so that's, that's because the American soldier has put his, his or her life on the line so that we can have what we want. And so it actually is good to think that way because as we're going through these hefty debates here on the floor, you know, and you're like, Oh my gosh, there's so many things that we fight about as Americans or as Oregonians. And you think, wow, we're in this place because of so much sacrifice that these, these fights truly are meaningless in the, in the grand scheme of things. And that's always a good, I think, reflection to be able to have. As you were commenting about panel discussion that you had, I think about the few conversations I've had with people that want to do this job. It's a mix of both warnings and enticement, right? Like, I want quality people to come do this job. And so as I talk to people, right. I want them to know how rewarding it can be and and what an impact they can have. And then there's another part of me that wants to warn them. Right. Right? This is not for the faint of heart mm-hmm. or your words, and I totally agree. Leaving family behind. And, and our first couple guests were the people that you refer to as not being close to the Capitol. We don't get to go home at night. Right. So I've had Cliff and McLean and then just me being on the show here as legislators. We also had Tim Sikarik on, which was a wonderful oh, opportunity cool. to have the chief clerk on here. He's yeah. fascinating. Tim's wonderful. Um, but the folks that have been legislators have been from far away. Mm-hmm. And so we don't get to go home at night. And it is a completely different animal. Right. When I don't get to see my wife, I don't get to see my kids. Um, I've tried to make it back to every basketball game my son had. I think I right. missed two. I you missed put a, a lot of miles meets. out there. Yeah, but it's important. You know, It's yeah. a senior year. This is the last chance we have to, to watch this. So we've made it a priority, which you can do, but but people need to know that it is a sacrifice. Yeah. It's not, you don't get to come here. And, and again, the other misconception I think tons of people have is that when you come to this building as a member of the House, as one of 60 in the House, right. that you have 1 60th of the power. No. And that is absolutely <laughs> not true. Uh-uh. And you start to realize the power dynamics of how much control the speaker has how much influence the chairs of committee have, who sits on ways and means. Right. You know, trying to trying to convey that back home and trying to raise the level of understanding that people have in terms of what influence we do have, how we do get to influence policy, how we get to move uh, the conversation in different directions, but then also realistically what their expectations could and should be. Right. Yes. And I think that you realize that you're one of many and one sixtieth is really not accurate, like you said, when it comes to power. But that's where you find where you can be impactful. And that's where you find what your experience lends you to. And you and not even kill bad bills, but you help them become better. And I think that if you're in the super minority, your expectations have to be appropriate. And that took me a little bit of time. I think when I came into this building, my expectations were higher than they are today. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I think that 
I realized my role and where I could be impactful. And that's with constituent outreach. That's with helping people get more involved in the process or at least understanding the process. Because there's been so many people that say, I don't even know where to start. Like right. they're like, I don't even understand the House and the Senate, you know, or they'll call this um, Capitol Hill. <laughs> and so you realize that there's there's opportunity out there to get people involved in the process and involved in their legislature and realize that truly this is still this is a citizen's legislature and you truly can make an impact. I also one of the most impactful or something that I didn't realize coming into this process is how much showing up matters. Not just submitting testimony, not just Facebooking about it, but showing up in person to Salem is so impactful because numbers really matter. If we're in a public hearing and it's four to one, the people that's on the four side, they're the ones that make the impact. They're the ones that as we're sitting until nine o'clock at night listening to testimony, when it's on one side over and over and over again, they're the ones that make an impact. And so I think that was one of the most surprising things to me that, um, again, you have to get those people, more people involved in the process because their voice matters. Yeah, we saw it in uh, in the short session. We had some folks come out from MOP and we were trying to help raise some funds from the state to help build a community center library city hall. And when those people took the time to come out yes. from district uh, with a presentation, well-prepared, they had done, you know, I mean, in fairness, they had done like eight years worth of legwork to get it to where it was. Uh, they had done some local fundraising and they came, polished and, and gave this wonderful presentation. Speakers stood up from committee after we were done and walked out of the room, came out, took a second away from the committee to say thank you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you for coming out from Moppin. And my predecessor, John Huffman, had taken the time to have the speaker out for a visit and toured the district. Makes and a difference. Makes all the difference in the world. And and for her then to know how far they came and the effort that they put into making sure that they were here. And when we have the people from Baker, when we have the people that, uh, you know, especially from uh, Cliff's greater district, Lynn Finley's right. house district, uh, the folks from Eastern Oregon, when they drive five, six hours right. to come testify, it, it really does have an impact on on the folks in committees. And, I, and I've watched it time and time again. You know, these folks from Portland, Salem area that, that do live close enough to go home, mm-hmm. when they see those folks invest energy to get here, yeah. it, it does have a bigger impact. And four to one, if that one person's from Baker, you know, I would say the one person might have Almost an equal voice. Almost. Well, yeah. and speaking of Baker, probably the most, if I were to pick one time that was the most impact on this entire session, it was during the Joint um, Committee on Carbon Reduction, and we had already gone on the road, hit, remind me, we hit Springfield, Medford, Bend, and... The Dells. The Dells. Um, and so we, it was the week after that, and we streamed in live from Baker... Yeah. And from Newport. And the that one hour that we listened to Testimony and Baker, when you say three to one or four to one is impactful, it was 60 to one that were concerned about the cap and trade bill. And not to say, and, and this is where I'm a, I'm a logistics person. I've already talked about my 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 practical side. Yeah. But when they testified, typically, if, if people aren't familiar with testimony, the chair calls up three people. 
they state their name, and then it takes time to shuffle them out, and they call three more people up. When Baker did this, and again, they're streamed in live from Baker, there was a blizzard out. They had shut the highway down. And over 350 people showed up to testify, and they only allowed 30 people to actually sign up and testify, and that's because they allowed an hour, and each person got two minutes. So they allowed 30 people to sign up, but that was only a tenth of the people that were there. There was one person for the bill, House Bill 2020, one person. So it was very impactful. But the most impactful thing to me was the three people started. And as one person was giving their two-minute testimony, they were shuffling in themselves. One person got up and walked off. Another person sat down and they were ready for the mic. So within one person stopped their testimony, the other person grabbed the mic and they just kept going. Literally, I think um, Rep Power had the gavel that night. She didn't even have to do anything. Yeah. They took care of it themselves, and they're like, we're going to maximize our time. And to me, I was cheering for them, and I was like, we hear you, Baker. Yeah. And for me, that was the most impactful. Yeah, that's awesome. I will say, you know, one of the challenges with that bill, and you and I both sit on joint carbon reduction, is the sheer complexity of it. And so the frustrating part for me is opponents find the part of the bill that will either drive their cost of living up or specifically will hinder their business's opportunity to continue to make money. Uh, they see the parts where it will drive up fuel costs. They see the parts that will drive up utility costs, and it's math, right? They can right. run the math. We right. know we emit this much. Uh, we're going to have to buy this many allowances. This is the market cost for allowances, and thus this is the cost that we're going to have to pass on to consumers, whereas the proponents, at least in my experience, that have come – you it's more of a theory of right. what we need to do. Right. It is uh, a theory of the world is in dire straits. Man-made carbon emissions are part of the problem, and we need to do anything and everything. But it's, it, they can't point to the bill and say, this is how this bill actually does that. Right. Right? There's no There's no A to Z. If we just follow this path, we do get to a point where there's less emissions because we have concerns over leakage and other... Anyway, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this bill, but it's been interesting to me that the folks that are against the bill can point to something specific. The folks that are for the bill talk more about a theory. Or you hear over and over again, we need to do something. Yeah, We need to do something. And so I think it's more, and even talking to um, Democrat members in this building that aren't on the committee, that don't have that deep dive, they um, are, from who I've talked to, is we need to pass this. They're not quite sure exactly the complexity of it, but we need to pass this. And so to me, that's probably the most frustrating. Yeah. I don't necessarily understand the bill, but we need to do something. Exactly. Let's do it. Yep. Um, So what's the silliest bill? That you've seen come through this, I the straws. We haven't even seen the straws on the house floor. I, to me, I just think it's it's almost like the idea of the day, and now we're going to debate it in the Capitol building. I just feel like we have other things to spend our time on. So my favorite was we passed a bill, uh, basically saying we're anti polystyrene. Oh, and then outside the Capitol, where there's massive construction <laughs> going on, uh, we built a couple chambers to house some inner workings of the capital infrastructure, and then to use as backfill, a <laughs> couple of basketball blocks. courts, you know, why big blocks of 12 foot deep foam. of polystyrene, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, and it was probably single use. 
I mean, I'm just saying. I don't know. Now, granted, in this case, granted, in this case, is going to be there for quite a while. That's true. Um, That's true. Although I will also say, when um, when you're talking about drilling off the Oregon coast or fracking or whatever we voted on, things we don't do. Things we don't do. Yeah. So that to me, if anybody, all those listening, when we're voting on something where you know it legitimately is only there for campaign purposes. And we don't even do it here in Oregon. You just got to laugh a little bit. Yeah, let's ban something that we don't do and aren't planning on doing. But in the name of something that I can put on a campaign hit piece. There you go. Okay. Last question, because you are a social media dynamo. Yeah, superstar. Like a rock star of social media. What is the meanest tweet you've gotten back? Oh, boy. Um... It would probably be a Facebook comment, not a not a not a mean tweet. One of these days, we just need to read them. We're gonna save them and just read them out loud. Um, I can't say it because of the profane language that was used, but just being told to resign over and over again and talk about bleepity bleep representation and those kind of things. But what's great is every single time I don't even have to respond. Somebody else that knows me, you know, speaks a little bit of common sense, but you see time and time again that that does not resonate with those kind of people. We try to monitor our page and we don't allow foul language. Uh, Facebook actually took it down themselves. We had one of those too. And I was like, what is this hidden comment? I don't remember seeing this comment. And so I called Dylan. I said, hey, did you hide this comment? He said, no, I didn't. So I unhid it for one second. And I was like, whoops, nope. Nope, we're going to hide that. Got to take that one back down. (laughs) People don't need to read that nonsense. So is there one question that I didn't ask you that you were just dying to answer that you're like, gosh, Daniel, I wish you would have asked me this. Well, I'm I'm a nerd, so I think that next time we should do a two-hour deep dive into House Bill 2020. <laughs> <laughs> or the diesel bill. Yeah. I mean, or the diesel bill. <laughs> so we'll date ourselves with this and see how long it takes us to edit it and put it out. But the, today is the today. big day. Yes. Uh, we believe that today in our carbon committee that they're going to try and move uh, a final dash amendment. That the last 94? I think it's the Dash 94. Dash 94 is what I've heard as well. The 84 that it's going to be built off of was 182 pages. Mm -hmm. We'll be talking about that today. Ooh, fun fact. Yeah. The 180 or 190 page Dash 84 amendment mentions the word jobs five times, but it's being messaged as the Clean Energy Jobs Bill. That's right. And one of those don't five, you think? And one of those five times it's mentioned is actually uh, mentioning the loss of jobs. The loss of jobs, yeah. So yeah. take that out. It's mentioned four times about creation of jobs in 180 plus pages. I think that that should be heard loud and clear. Well, you, yeah, you got close to the mic. I so. know. It was, it was trying to make loud it impactful. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Thank you for being you. here. Uh, our guest today, Shelly Bossart Davis. Champion of a representative, so glad to have you in the caucus, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Representative Beauchart Smith, out. (laughs) And thank you, the listeners, for coming back by again. Main Street Politics, remember if you need to get a hold of us here in the office, 503-986-1459, or our district office is 541-719-8745. Thanks for listening to The Rational Republican. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting service, or you can listen on our website, jamesaball.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, and if you're feeling extra generous, you can visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash rationalrepublican. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.